The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. Um, did the scripture this morning uh, for two reasons. One, I know we just had a break, but uh, I've been gone for two weeks. And in the two weeks, I was at a conference in Florida. I flew back one evening from the conference, got up at five the next morning. My mom and I drove to South Carolina for our daughter's wedding, which was awesome and great. And then after that, uh, we had Thanksgiving on Tuesday with uh, mother kids that were still in town. And then Thanksgiving, well, actually Wednesday, we loaded up one last U-Haul trailer load of stuff in South Carolina. And Thanksgiving Day, we drove... Um, back up here to Pennsylvania. Uh, and then Sunday, I get a text from Abby uh, about chapel. So I don't know about you, but I need a break. <laughs> so, and I'm sure some of you do. Uh, and it's interesting, at the conference, uh, I was down in Florida, Andrew Gordon uh, attended as well. It was on Zoom. But we were challenged uh, by one of the speakers there uh, um, from a book um, by John Mark Cromer, who was the founding pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon, which interestingly enough is where my son uh, and his wife go to church. Uh, but it's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry was the title of the book. And uh, Andrew texted me, uh, and while we weren't paying attention to the speaker and texting each other, we decided we should read this book. We should look read through it together. Maybe it'd be something good for professional development for staff. Um, not sure. But as I read it, I just was like, wow. I was really challenged. I was cut to the core. Um, he shares kind of just pretty bluntly at the start uh, of where he was. Successful pastor. Their church had grown. Three services uh, was really happening there in Portland. Things were going good. But he realized he was successful but at all the wrong metrics, having a big church isn't a bad thing. But if you're driven by the needs of the church and to keep it functioning and big, that's not a good thing when you're the pastor that's supposed to be shepherding the flock and uh, bringing God's word. And so he was losing that relationship uh, and was driven uh, to step away from the ministry because he wanted to be the husband and father that he should be to his wife and kids and realized he could not do that apart from his time with the Lord. Uh, so it's just about his journey from busyness and following the flow of the world to step back and, and really be a Christ follower. And uh, it was probably there, like page two of the book, that it was like, wow, uh, how many times do I have my wish list of what I'd like to do with God if I could just find the time? Uh, and yeah, we probably could all correct me and counsel me and what to do that uh, to make that better. But he makes reference to a classic that if you haven't read it, I would challenge you to read it. It's a great book to read in a group together. C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. How many of you read Screwtape Letters? So Uncle Screwtape is trying to teach his nephew who is an up and coming demon how to take care of the human he's been assigned to. Now. Obviously, C.S. Lewis took some liberties with our understanding of the supernatural. It's not that detailed in scripture, but I don't think it's too far off the bat as it is. 
And in the midst of this, so the nephew was thinking, man, I should tempt him with this, I should tempt him with this, I can nail him with this. And Uncle Screwtape says, no, 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 no. You just need to get him busy. Just distract him. If you come head on with a temptation, he's going to see that temptation and he's going to walk away. But if you get him busy, if you get him off the course that he needs to be on, then he's easy. And that's exactly what John Mark Cromer was talking about and I think where he felt himself and as a result of that, he fled from that. So the question for us is, who has time to read a book? If we took a survey, probably most of you have far too much reading to do with the amount of semester we have left. I remember when I was working down at CIU, a student, I was in a, finishing up my MDiv uh, and I had a theology class and the professor just loved to assign this uh, extra reading that we had to do. It was 1,500 pages of reading through the semester. And so if you think, okay, there's 15, 16 weeks in a semester, 1,500 pages, 100 pages a week, uh, manageable. So this guy, Bob, uh, Bob was in my class, grad student as well. And uh, we're like two weeks done from the semester and Bob comes by, he goes, hey, how you doing with your theology reading? And I said, pretty good. I, you know, I'm behind a little bit, but I should be able to catch up. He goes, man, I got to start. <laughs> I'm like, okay, 750 pages a week, uh, 100 pages a day, manageable. A couple of days later, how's it going, Bob? Uh, you know, so keep doing the math, and the number gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Who has time to read a book? Well, we all do. If we took a look, and in my... Uh, just kind of pause as he presented the question in his book, um, TV. Uh, my mom watches a lot of TV, and I'm a good son, so I want to be with my mom. So I sit next to her on the couch, and I watch Jeopardy. And then, to my shame, I watch Wheel of Fortune. Um, it's really funny to watch Jeopardy and the intellect, and then to watch Wheel of Fortune and... Vanna. Uh, anyway, so TV time. I have an addicting golf game on my phone, and you're like, Rick, get a life if you're playing a golf game <laughs> on your phone. Um, emails, and especially those emails that lead me to surf the internet for stuff. I guarantee you that most days I have two hours in there of trivial emails, golf game, TV. What could I accomplish in two hours? And so I kind of made a challenge to myself. I'm going to do at least an hour and a half of reading a day. Now, we had kind of challenged each other to read this book over break. I don't know how he did. I'm about two-thirds of the way through the book. Um, but an hour and a half a day, you can knock out some stuff in an hour and a half a day. So there's another question. Is the Bible relevant? Jesus, I like Jesus. He's cool. I want to be like him. But the Bible, give me a break. All that stuff, do I need it all? Well, if I was to tell you, Amy, my daughter that just got married, met Hunter while she was home from China during COVID. Wasn't sure if she was going to go back. These two German guys that were living in our house challenged Amy 
to strike up a relationship with somebody. Get online, swipe right. You know, find somebody. So she found Hunter. She started going to meet Hunter after some time, checking him out on, online, making sure, okay, I think I'm ready to meet him, taking her friend Kristen with her to make sure that Hunter wasn't a creep. I could tell you that whole story. And you might be, that's great. It means a lot to me because I have a relationship with Amy. It's a cool story. And to celebrate Amy and Hunter getting married, that culmination of that crazy first step that Amy took to go online and find somebody on Christian Mingle, uh, turning into a relationship like that. Well, Scripture is full of stories like that. I visited a church on Sunday, and it was the, they were finishing up the book of Ruth. Ruth marries Boaz, and they have a child. Great. It's what usually happens when a couple gets married. They have kids. But that line was the line of David, who was the line of Jesus. And if you look in Matthew chapter 1 and you see this list of genealogies, and you probably, like me, read through the Bible in a year and you get to Leviticus and all the rules there, you get to Matthew 1 and the genealogies, and you're like, what's the point? And you realize that when 12 spies went into the promised land and came back, and 10 said, nah, I can't do it, 2 said, we can do it. And then they eventually got there and they had the Battle of Jericho. No, excuse me, different story. <laughs> you remember when the spies went in and they were held and protected by Rahab the harlot did you know that Rahab's son was Boaz who married Ruth who had a son who fathered Jesse who fathered David and preserved the line so that Jesus could be born does that mean anything to you well, like the story of Amy, if you have a relationship, I would hope that it does. The Bible's relevant. It just takes time, it takes effort, and it takes relationship. And if Amy had never ventured out to go to Cantina 76 on Main Street in Columbia, South Carolina, she would never be married to Hunter today. If you never take a step and take the time to spend quiet with Jesus, you'll never have that relationship. And the Bible will be irrelevant. I promise you. But if you want that relationship, if you want that Jesus part of things, there's a relationship. So, because I'm speaking in chapel, and I found out yesterday, I want to just read from the book. So I'd ask that you'd put away your phone, your laptop, whatever you're working on, and I just want you to think about the reality of life that John Mark Cromer unpacks. It hit me pretty hard. It challenged me. But he's talking about Jesus escaping from the wilderness. So the day that Jesus was baptized, after that he went off into the wilderness, the desert, and in the Hebrew, John Mark Cromer explains that it's just a quiet place. So don't picture Jesus tromping over 
sand dunes, looking for water and all that kind of stuff. Jesus is alone, is what he's doing. And we know at the end of that time, Satan came to tempt him. But if you read the scripture, when Jesus was baptized after that, it says the spirit led him off into the wilderness. Why? Because the devil was going to come and tempt Jesus. And Jesus knew, and the spirit knew, that Jesus would be at his strongest after spending 40 days with the Father in fellowship. It wasn't a time of weakness. It was a time of inner strength. Yeah, he might have been physically weak, but it's a time of spiritual strength. And so he is challenging us, John Mark Cromer, in his book, to think about solitude and quiet to get back in that relationship. So it's going to be on here. Just read with me. When we don't practice this Jesus soul habit, solitude and quiet, we reap the consequences. We feel distant from God and end up living off somebody else's spirituality via a podcast feed or book or one-page devotional we read before we rush out the door. We feel distant from ourselves. We lose sight of our identities and callings. We get sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. We feel an undercurrent of anxiety that rarely, if ever, goes away. This sense that we're always behind, always playing catch-up, never done. Then we get exhausted. We wake up and our first thoughts are, already, I can't wait to go to bed. We lag through our days, our low-grade energy on loan from our stimulants of choice. Even when we catch up on our sleep, we feel a deeper kind of tired. Then we turn to our escapes of choice. We run out of energy to do what actually, what actually is life-giving for our souls, say, prayer. And instead, we turn to the cheap fix, another glass of wine, a new show streaming online, our social media feeds, porn. We become easy prey for the tempter, just furthering our sense of distance from God and our souls. Then emotional unhealth sets in. We start living from the surface of our lives, not the core. We're reactionary. The smallest thing is a trigger, a throwaway line from the boss, a snide comment from a coworker, a suggestion from a spouse or roommate. It doesn't take much. We lose our tempers, bark at our kids, get defensive, sulk, feel angry or sad, often both. Those are the signs and symptoms of a life without silence and solitude. On the flip side, here's the alternative. We find our quiet places, a park down the street, a reading nook at home, a morning routine that begins before the little ones are awake and we come away. We take our time. Maybe it's not a full hour, but we're there long enough to decompress from all the noise and traffic and stress and nonstop stimulation of modern society. Sometimes all we need is a few minutes. Other times an hour isn't enough. Other times we gratefully take what time we can get. We slow down, breathe, come back to the present. We start to feel. At first, we feel the whole gamut of human emotions, not just joy and gratitude and celebration and restfulness, but also sadness and doubt and anger and anxiety. Usually, I feel all the lousy emotions first. That's just how it goes. We face the good, the bad, and the ugly in our own hearts, our worry, our depression, our hope, our desire for God, our lack of desire for God, our sense of God's presence, our sense of his absence, our fantasies, our realities, 
All the lies we believe, the truth we come, to ho- come home to, our motivations, our addictions, the coping mechanisms we reach for just to make it through the week, all this is exposed and painfully so. But rather than leaking out on those we love most, it's exposed in the safe place of the Father's love and voice. In our ears, we sense his voice cut through the cacophony of all the other voices, which slowly fade to the deafening roar of silence. In that silence, we hear God speak his love over us, speak our identities and callings into being. We get his perspective on life and our humble good places in it. And we come to a place of freedom. Our failures failures slowly lose their power over us, as do our successes. We get out from under the tyranny of other people's opinions, their disapproval or approval of us. Free to just be us, the mixed bag we are. Nothing more than children with our Father, adopted into love. Free to be in process, yet to arrive. And that's okay. In silence and solitude, our souls finally come home. And what Jesus meant by abide, the verb of abode or home, the place of rest. We come back to our places of soul rest, to what Thomas Kelly called the unhurried center of peace and power. And again, that's from John Mark Cromer's book. Scripture that Andrew read, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, I, um, I struggle, I'm human. Uh, I get busy, I have too much to do. All of those things happen. And I know your lives are full of things as well. You have multiple things going on. But we are so bothered by these things today. This is the greatest distraction ever invented. It cries to us, it calls to me. Unfortunately, I work in a role where I have to keep it on by my bed in case there's an emergency that happens. But you get drawn and compelled, just like I do, to pick it up and check it out. Now, I don't do social media like you guys do, but I have kids, and so I know the social media gig you get more emotional barrage from that than anything else. You make so much of your own trouble. I make my own trouble. When it's my birthday, what do you think I'm doing? I'm checking Facebook every five minutes. Who else has commented? Why hasn't so-and-so commented yet? And where does that put me? Does it cancel my birthday? If I don't get 50 comments, birthday's off. Patty says, how many? I'm like, 48, no cake. Sorry. It means nothing. It's cool. It's great. I love it. But I know those people love me. I know that they care. What I really, really want for you and what I want for me is for us to walk a different path. What a catchphrase. What a segue. But that's the path. It just takes time. And it takes commitment. And if you're flipping about it, it's not going to happen. Jesus doesn't do flipping. 
I mentioned a couple weeks ago when I spoke in chapel before about my vows to Patty. If I asked Patty what the bare minimum was I could do to keep us married, that stinks. But I said then, and I'll say it now, that's what we do with Jesus. So when I picked up this book and I started reading this book thinking, how could this help other people? Jesus sat me down in the midst of the busyness of the last couple of weeks and said, Rick, where are you? Am I like John Mark Cromer? Pursuing good things, but checking out the wrong metrics and losing Jesus in the sight. And I get haunted by the fact that there is a spiritual realm out there where their sole interest is to just distract me. Don't hit me head on with a temptation. I think I'm going to handle that. But get me distracted. And that's when I snap at Patty. I say an unkind word at a wrong time. Sometimes I bring her to tears. Sometimes I get a look that just says, you sinned. And I'm like, geez, the most precious thing on this planet to me, and I just trashed it. So, two weeks of classes, finals, and we're in the season we just sung about, Emmanuel, God with us. He's with us. I challenge you to be with him. And if you don't know how, find me. And if you need help having a quiet time, if you need time just being quiet, I'll help you. I'll be glad to come out at 7 o'clock in the morning, meet in the cafeteria, just talk and figure out how to do that. How do we decompress? You can help me. And hopefully I can help you if you're interested. And I know there's lots of others that would offer that same type of thing. But let's give our burden to Jesus and let's walk with him and enjoy the solitude and the quiet that he offers, that he can give rest to our souls. And then I think you'll see that the Bible is incredibly relevant and that relationship will come to life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for John Mark Cromer and, Lord, just his willingness to say enough, even in the ministry, to say enough. He's losing what's best for things that are good. And the ministry is great. It's fantastic. But if it draws us away from you, then something needs to happen. Lord, we all get caught that way. Some of us, it's just distraction for a brief season, and then we're back. But that's not ideal. For some, there's an, a reluctance, or even as he said in his book, a complete lack of desire for God. Stir us, wake us up. Lord, know that by your grace, we have the power to do what you want to do, and that's just simply to be together. So I pray that these words would just rest on hearts, that you would do your work that we would walk with you. We love you, Lord. Guide us through these last couple weeks, lots to do. But in the midst of that, we can be with you even as you are Emmanuel for us. Thank you. In your name we pray, amen. You're dismissed.